You're listening to the Fueled and Free podcast. I'm your host, Margaret, a holistic nutritionist, bringing you real talk and thought-provoking conversations on food, the wellness world, women's health topics, and life. Remember, the information shared in this podcast is not to be taken as individual or medical advice. Welcome back to today's episode. I'm giving a crash course or a deep dive on estrogen dominance today and the connection to your gut health. If you're experiencing symptoms like PMS, low libido, hair loss, digestive issues, unexplained weight gain, acne, period pain, or you have a diagnosis like PCOS, endometriosis, cysts, fibroids, you're going to want to listen to this episode. I go into detail about the three different types of estrogen in the body, the balance of estrogen and progesterone, and how you can have normal levels of estrogen and technically still be in an estrogen dominant state because your progesterone is so low compared to your estrogen. We go into detail on the root causes of estrogen dominance, how to test for this, how to reduce the inflammation and get your estrogen back into a healthy rhythm. So without further ado, I hope you enjoy. 80% of women experience some sort of hormonal imbalance at some point in their life. In fact, I would even say that ratio or that percentage is probably higher. This drives symptoms like acne, period pain, PMS, unexplained weight gain, a PCOS diagnosis, low libido, brain fog, hair loss, even more severe symptoms like cysts or endometriosis or fibroids. Hormones get the blame here, and a lot of this happens when estrogen goes haywire. I'm here to tell you, yes, your estrogen may be going haywire or in a more dominant state, but remember, hormonal imbalances are a byproduct of other issues in your body. We have endocrine glands, that make chemicals called hormones, and this passes them straight into the bloodstream. Hormones can be thought of as chemical messages or chemical messengers. And so from the bloodstream, those hormones will communicate with your body by heading towards different target cells with the purpose of bringing about a certain effect or a change to that cell. The hormone can also create changes in the cells of surrounding tissues. We have multiple glands and organs in the endocrine system. I want to quick break this down before we start diving in into estrogen and estrogen dominance. So we have the pituitary gland, which is inside the brain. It oversees other glands, helps keep hormones in check. Um, It's connected also to your nervous system through a part of the brain called the hypothalamus. The pituitary gland releases hormones known as gonadotropins, also known as LH and FSH growth hormone, thyroid-stimulating hormone, TSH, adrenocorticotropic hormone, also known as ACTH, prolactin, antidiuretic hormone, and oxytocin. These hormones have a huge effect on the cadence of your menstrual cycle and ovulation. We have our thyroid gland sits at the front of your windpipe. It's a butterfly-shaped gland, releases thyroid hormone T4 and T3, which is required for your metabolism and body homeostasis. Your thyroid affects your uh, rate of metabolism, your body temperature, 
your mood, your energy, every aspect of your health is honestly affected by your, your thyroid. It is controlled by TSH, which again is produced by the pituitary gland. It's this feedback loop. We have a parathyroid gland, usually four parathyroid glands, which lie alongside the thyroid. Parathyroid is involved in calcium, phosphate, and vitamin D regulation. We have adrenal glands. These sit on top of each kidney. They make a number of different hormones. The outside part of the gland makes cortisol, aldosterone, and sex hormones. The center makes adrenaline. Adrenaline is an example of a hormone that is majorly under control from your nervous system. So that it's a stress hormone. And these are hormones that get secreted when you're activated potentially into fight or flight, when that nervous system gets activated. Our pancreas, this is a digestive organ inside the abdomen that makes insulin, which controls the amount of sugar in your bloodstream. Ovaries inside your pelvis as a female makes sex hormones like estrogen and progesterone. And then males have testes, which make male sex hormones like testosterone. Other lesser known endocrine organs are adipose tissue, also known as fat tissue. Um, This is really metabolically important as it releases hormones such as leptin, which will affect your appetite. Also a site of estrogen production, we'll dive in on that. Insulin also acts on adipose tissue. So the more fat cells that we have, the more that those hormones can be potentially dysregulated. Our kidneys The kidneys produce hormones, uh, specifically they produce erythropoietin, also known as EPO, which stimulates red blood cell production, produces renin, which is needed for blood pressure regulation and produces the active form of vitamin D. And then your gut has uh, a huge influence on hormones and produces its own number of hormones as well. So today we are going to specifically talk about estrogen. There are three forms of estrogen, estrone, also known as E1, estradiol E2 and estriol E3. This is important in both women and men. However, women naturally do have higher estrogen levels. So I want to break down real quick those three different forms of estrogens. Estrone E1 primarily manufactured in the ovaries prior to menopause. It also can be created in our adipose fat tissues and the adrenal glands. This level does decline after menopause, um, but yet we do continue to produce estrogen, mainly in the form of estrone. Estradiol E2, this is the main form of estrogen produced in the ovaries in premenopausal women. Uh, This is the most commonly tested form of estrogen. It can be manufactured by the adrenals and during pregnancy by the placenta. It is definitely the most abundant one that we produce during our reproductive years. It's the most active. It's the most potent. It plays a role in breast development. The distribution of fat in females helps maintain reproductive tissues, supports bone growth, heart health, memory, and cognitive function. It's the form of estrogen that also plays a role in the proliferation of conditions like endometriosis, uterine fibroids, breast and endometrial cancers, as well as those cyclical menstrual cycle symptoms that women experience. If you have high levels of estradiol, you are going to have more PMS most likely, especially if you don't have enough progesterone, which we'll get to that in a second. Estriol E3. This is the least potent form of estrogen 
predominant in pregnancy as it is produced in large quantities by the placenta throughout our menstrual cycle, during pregnancy, and then all the way into menopause, we produce estrogen day in, day out. However, we need healthy progesterone levels to help keep estrogen balanced. That's because progesterone helps balance and neutralize the effects of too much estrogen. Without proper progesterone levels, estrogen can become out of control, which is what we call estrogen dominance. And so you will see with people where their estrogen levels might even be at normal levels, but when you compare their estrogen to their progesterone, if they are lower in progesterone, even though their estrogen is still at a normal level, they're going to have those more estrogen dominant symptoms, which we'll get to. So after estrogen circulates through your body, doing all the things it needs to do from keeping your hair shiny, your menstrual cycle healthy, keeping your bones strong, it winds up in the liver where it's broken down into estrogen metabolites and then packaged for elimination or it gets reabsorbed back into your body. It's then delivered to its final destination for just that, your intestines. What estrogen does in your gut, in your intestines, has a massive effect on your overall hormonal cadence. So while this hormone is meant to fluctuate throughout your cycle, it's typically lowest during your period, and then it peaks again before ovulation, high estrogen or estrogen dominance can massively mess with your menstrual cycle. Um, it will lead to not only a variety of symptoms, but it also can contribute to chronic health problems. Typically, a couple of main causes for why this happens, it it is like an inflammatory state, and this can be due to either your body's just making too much, or it isn't breaking down that external estrogen and removing it effectively. So before we dive in on root causes, because you know I like to talk about root causes here, what are some of the symptoms that we can expect or we we should look for if we suspect that there might be estrogen dominance. I touched on them a little bit in the beginning, but most women experience a handful of these symptoms. There's not usually just one symptom. For women, bloating, rapid weight gain, or just unexplained weight gain, you feel like you're doing everything right and you can't lose weight, breast tenderness, especially the week or so leading up to your period, mood swings, heavier cycles, cycle irregularity, either missing periods or more frequent menstrual cycles, anxiety and depression, migraine headaches, insomnia, brain fog, low energy, a PCOS diagnosis, hair loss are probably the most common symptoms. In men, men have estrogen dominance, believe it or not, infertility, erectile dysfunction, low libido, fatigue, also hair loss, Also weight gain or difficulty losing weight. There is a big correlation between men that have a lot of visceral abdominal fat and at high levels of estrogen. So overproduction or poor breakdown of estrogen can be caused by quite a few things. We're going to dive in on some of these different root causes. Number one, excess body weight. So fat can secrete estrogen. Fat is its own endocrine organ. If you have a higher amount of body fat, you are also more likely to have high estrogen levels. Number two, high blood sugar. When you eat an excess amount of sugar or you just have high blood sugar, your body doesn't handle glucose well, 
the body copes with it by turning it into fat cells, which then produce estrogen. The more sugar you eat, the more fat cells you create, and then the more estrogen your body's producing. It kind of becomes this vicious cycle. This is especially the case for those who don't have as much muscle on their body as muscle is the preferred place for your body to send glucose to. The less muscle mass you have on your body, the more the glucose from the food you eat is going to get stored in fat cells, which again, drives up estrogen. So often when people have blood sugar issues, the first solution is like, oh, just cut carbs. Yes, lowering your carb intake might have better outcomes on your blood sugar, but that opens up the door for other issues. Women especially and men, but women especially need carbohydrates in their diet. Like your progesterone levels will be affected if you don't have enough carbs in your diet. So that's not the solution in my opinion. I would say go pick up some weights and start weightlifting. That is a huge, huge way to improve your blood sugar and your insulin sensitivity. Just increase that lean muscle mass. I know that this is easier said than done, but it is one of the simplest ways to improve your blood sugar metabolism. So fat cells, again, especially those in that visceral midsection, that belly fat produce estrogen. Insulin spikes trigger hormonal imbalances. It creates this perfect storm. So when we eat excess sugar or even refined grains, refined carbs, this will lead to an insulin spike as the body will secrete that hormone to help your cells accept blood sugar for energy. When we have elevated insulin, this can lead to lower levels of a really important hormone known as sex hormone binding globulin, SHBG. SHBG binds excess estrogen and testosterone in the blood. And when it's low, those hormone levels can increase. So this is where you will see more of those PCOS types of symptoms. I do have a podcast episode on PCOS you'll want to go back and listen to episode number 10, which was last season. PCOS symptoms are going to look like more oily skin, acne on the face, hair growth on the face, hair loss, weight gain, insulin resistance. And typically you have an irregular menstrual cycle. So ovulation can be delayed. Usually there's nine or less periods per year. I talk in that episode about the different types of PCOS But there is usually some estrogen dominance at play here with um, PCOS, which again, there's different reasons why this can happen. Another thing that can contribute to estrogen dominance is taking certain medications, specifically birth control pills. Birth control pills are known to dysregulate estrogen levels. Moving on, stress. Chronic stress can lead to high cortisol. And when your body is in a high cortisol state from being super stressed out, this actively depletes your body's estrogen balancing hormone known as progesterone. Progesterone production is massively affected when we're under a lot of stress. So managing your cortisol, managing your stress, going to be really important here. And before I just glance on by the topic of stress, because I know when I talk about stress, everyone's like, yes, everyone's stressed. But sometimes you're doing things on a day-to-day that you don't even realize are contributing to stress in your body, like number one, skipping meals. If you wake up and you jump right into your day and you are not eating breakfast and you are drinking a cup of coffee on an empty stomach and you're jumping right into what you need to get done for the day, that leads to 
chronically elevated levels of cortisol for many women. Not all. I would say some people can maybe handle that. But by and large, we've done enough hormone testing on clients. We've done enough labs on clients to really dive in and see what does the data show, right? Um, Not just what does some author or influencer tell us works for them. What does the data show? What do the labs show? And by and large, people that skip breakfast, and especially if they're having caffeine in the morning on an empty stomach, have higher levels of cortisol than what is normal, okay? I would also say doing fasted workouts as well, it can be a stressor on your body. So some of these go back to your eating habits, like make sure you're eating breakfast. If you have coffee, which I drink coffee as well, have it after you've had a supportive meal, okay? Eat a little something before you do a fasted workout in the morning. Don't drink coffee and then go do a fasted workout and then fast until 12 o'clock. That's a lot of stress on the female endocrine system. Moving on, we're going to dive in a little bit on gut health. So once estrogen makes it to your intestines, it is either eliminated or reabsorbed and recirculated throughout the body. Ideally, when this system is working well, it creates a just right balance that your body thrives on. This entire operation is really regulated by what is known as your estrobilum. And this is its own village of bacteria, if you will. And so the estrobilum does this by producing an enzyme known as beta-glucuronidase, which we can check your levels of beta-glucuronidase on a stool test, also known as the GI map stool test. So beta-glucuronidase helps to break down estrogen into its active forms, and then they're either excreted or reabsorbed into circulation to do their work in your body. We need a healthy level of beta-glucuronidase for this to work properly. And again, the bacteria in your gut also massively affects this. So this estrobilum only functions properly if your microbiome is healthy. When your microbiome is not healthy, which is a really, really common problem, about 90% of women will experience digestive symptoms alongside some of those estrogen dominant symptoms. So not only can it throw off your digestion and cause things like constipation, gas, bloating, IBS types of symptoms, but it also will affect that delicate balance of estrogen in your body. So there's this continuous conversation that takes place between your GI tract and your endocrine system, one that you probably had no idea was even happening And the only way that you really know that things might be affected in your gut related to your hormones is by dialing in and tuning in to some of your symptoms. So those symptoms that your body sends you is a way of telling you, hey, that there's there's a breakdown in the system here. And when there's a breakdown in the system, it can lead to small little symptoms or significant hormonal imbalances and gynecologic conditions. So to simplify it, PMS symptoms, which we've talked about, which can look like, again, period pain, heavy periods, migraines, bloating, uh, mood swings before your period, breast pain, whatever. Uh, Endometriosis, this is a more serious issue. So a lot of research shows that a disrupted microbiome is crucially involved in the onset and the progression of endometriosis. Women with endo have higher amounts of dysbiosis, as well as overall bacterial overgrowth. Personally, in some of my endometriosis clients, I've seen 
a lot of overgrowth of bacteria, candida, which is a yeast that overgrows in the gut. Um, and this will lead to higher estrogen levels. And those higher estrogen levels stimulate endometrial growth. Women with endo also have higher rates of IBS. So that's a really important connection to make. PCOS is another gynecological issue that women can experience. Those with PCOS have significantly lower microbial diversity, which can also contribute to blood sugar issues. Um, There are certain bacteria that we need in the gut to help regulate our blood sugar um, and also play a huge role in our weight. And then I want to talk about fibroids. So if you have fibroids, your symptoms will include heavy periods, bleeding between periods, abdominal pain, pelvic pain, frequent urination, longer or more frequent periods. If you suspect that you have fibroids, you definitely want to get into your OBGYN and confirm that. Estrogen is thought to be a key player in fibroid pathophysiology. Uterine fibroid patients have been shown to have altered gut microbiomes, and we've confirmed this through lab testing, but there are a lot of studies that are coming out about this. Your gut microbiome and the presence of dysbiosis, which when I say the word dysbiosis, I'm referring to an imbalance in your gut bacteria. So we have good guy bacteria that do lots of good things in your gut, like extract nutrients from the food that you eat, produce certain vitamins, create the gut lining, which helps prevent leaky gut extract nutrients from the food that you eat, help you digest your food. So you actually like absorb the food that you're eating. But sometimes we have bad guy bacteria that can proliferate and overgrow in the gut and cause lots of symptoms, increase your likelihood of autoimmune conditions, and go hand in hand with certain chronic symptoms. So there is more dysbiosis, or there's a big connection between gut dysbiosis and those who have fibroids that is now coming out to show that your microbiome and dysbiosis has the potential to be a risk factor for fibroids and can massively affect that disease process. Unfortunately, if you have endometriosis or fibroids and you are going to a mainstream gynecologist, 99.9% of the time, this is not ever a part of the conversation. And depending on the age of where you're at, and whether or not you are done having children, the main solution that is offered to you is to just take out your uterus. And I'm sorry, no shame if you have chosen to do that. I have multiple clients, friends that have chosen to go that route. And I fully acknowledge that sometimes we either A, don't know what our other options are. B, we're in such a severe state of inflammation, we just need a darn solution. And you pick the thing that gets you out of your chronic symptoms quickest, no judgment and shame there. Truly, okay, hear me on this. I also acknowledge that there is a level of privilege to be able to dial in on your nutrition and your blood sugar and your lifestyle habits and order labs on yourself and do the deep dive on your health in a functional way. And I that is why I show up here on this podcast every single week to try to provide as many free tools and resources so that even if you're in a st- place where you can just make small changes right now and you can't go all in on your health, there are a lot of things that you can take away here that are going to help manage your symptoms and get your inflammation lowered and get you in a better place than maybe you were before, okay? 
And so, yes, removing the uterus may be an option if you're dealing with endometriosis or major cysts or fibroids. But again, it's not actually addressing your potential estrogen dominance. There's other issues that are causing this. Yes, it may like eliminate the the period pain and the heavy cycles and the clotting and the prolonged bleeding, but it's not addressing why this is happening in the first place. So moving on, I want to talk about xenoestrogens. If you've listened to my podcast, I've talked a lot about environmental toxins, things that we are exposed to. We are in a toxic world. It is just the sobering reality of living on this planet. Xenoestrogens can be found in everything from household cleaning supplies, plastic, furniture, beauty products. These are synthetic chemicals that act as estrogen in your body. So not only do they increase your estrogen levels, but the constant onslaught of these chemicals can make it really difficult for your body to break down and eliminate excess estrogen effectively. So this is where make the changes that you can one step at a time. Not everyone can completely go in and overhaul their entire house, but swapping out your plastic wraps for glass and getting rid of plastic water bottles, going to stainless steel, ceramic, glass. Again, we do what we've been doing a lot of glass in our household. We really don't have a lot of plastic anymore. Um, going to more low tox or non-toxic cleaners, skincare, beauty products, not only is this going to have a massive effect on your hormone health, but it also affects your whole family. If you have children, not just girls, but also boys, you want to be mindful of this. Um, I have a daughter that's about to turn 10. Oh my gosh, when this episode comes out, she's this episode's going to come out on her 10th birthday. And she's really interested in skincare and makeup. And, you know, she's entering into that world of like, I want to start washing my face like you do. And she wants to go to the nail salon with me and we're having ongoing conversations about like, why can't she wants to wear perfume or body spray and certain deodorants. And I'm like, hold, hold the phone here. We're not just going to go to the drugstore and just grab whatever. Like there's a method to why we pick what we pick. And we're having a lot of conversations around how do we choose what we put on our body? How do we choose what we have in the home? She's been asking about burning candles She likes scented things. She likes scented slime right now. And I'm having to constantly have conversations with her of like, I know it's attractive or it smells good or it looks good, but it doesn't mean that it's safe for our body. And here's why, right? Next thing I would say is if your liver is not detoxing well, okay, if your liver is overburdened or sluggish, which we just did an episode on this. La, I'm trying to think when this episode comes out. So go back and listen to episode 20. Why loving your liver is the key to balanced hormones. I did a whole deep dive on the liver. It was a really good episode. Your liver is one of the body's main organs responsible for detoxification. And if it's not functioning properly, if it's sluggish, if it's overburdened, which there's a variety of reasons why that happens, it's not going to be able to break down estrogen properly, which will cause estrogen to accumulate in your body. So liver and gut both are really important systems for healthy levels of estrogen. Um, I give a lot of a lot of pointers in that episode, but real quick rapid fire, I'll give you a couple things to consider. Add in a daily raw carrot salad, raw carrot salad. That's the Dr. Ray Pete raw carrot salad. I'll link it in the show notes. I have a blog post on this. It's a really old blog post, but it's still relevant. 
Um, raw carrot salad has been shown to help your gut um, remove endotoxins from the gut. And it's also been known to help reduce symptoms of estrogen dominance and improve uh, the detoxification of estrogen out of the bowel. So the other thing you can incorporate for your liver is castor oil packs a couple of times a week. You can Google that again in the episode, um, episode 20, I talk about this. Coffee enemas are really good for the liver, dandelion root tea, beets, uh, making sure you're eating enough protein in your diet. Protein is really important to help your liver detoxify. So if you're eating a plant-based diet or you're not eating a lot of animal protein, your liver is going to struggle. Uh, not drinking a lot of alcohol, lowering exposure to endocrine disruptors and just toxins. You know, this is where, again, your liver is the organ that has to detoxify and anything that you're in common contact with, whether it's synthetic fragrance, smoke, mold, you're putting stuff on your skin and using stuff on your home that has a lot of junk in it, that overburdens the liver. So moving on, how can I find out if I have estrogen dominance and this inflammation? If you're experiencing these symptoms, best way to know for sure is through lab testing. So there's a couple of different types of labs that we can do. We actually don't always start with hormone testing. Personally, if someone comes to me with these types of symptoms and, you know, usually there's digestive symptoms. Usually when women are kind of coming to us for help, there's not just one issue. We actually do hair testing and stool testing first. So we look at hair to see your mineral levels and presence of heavy metals, which have a, your minerals have a true impact on every aspect of your metabolism, including your hormones. And then I also like to look right at the gut because if your gut microbiome is out of balance, if you have dysbiosis, that has a direct effect on your estrogen levels and so, and your progesterone, all of your hormones. And so sometimes I like to spend time really working on those systems first before we go check hormones right away. Sometimes checking hormones, we can do that a little prematurely. And what we find out month one with a client might look much different if we reach, if we test their hormones, maybe month four or five with a client. So again, some people are really data driven and they want to know the data. They want to know what's going on right away. And if that's the case with the client, we will check their hormone levels right away. We like to do the Dutch complete hormone test, which is a uh, urine test. I talk about that in episode 18, which is called using functional labs to optimize your health and find the root cause of your symptoms. We do a solid breakdown in episode 18 of the different types of functional labs that we use with our clients. But testing is really key to help figure out where there's dysfunction, where there's imbalances. And we find that by doing functional labs, we're able to really pinpoint what areas need support and it's less shooting in the dark and the client sees results much quicker. And we address these things by dialing in on nutrition, blood sugar, some of your daily lifestyle habits, gut protocols are usually pretty involved. And this has a massive effect on alleviating and eliminating your symptoms. For those of you that want some pointers of things that you can start doing and working on now to get rid of estrogen dominance, which by the way, before we go through this, I want to quick address this before I forget. Uh, I highly, highly recommend not DIYing the supplement side of this. So if you go on Google and scroll TikTok or Instagram and you type in estrogen dominance and supplements 
There are a lot of quote unquote hormone balancing supplements out there that include ingredients like dim, um, maca, just different herbs and things that if you don't know what you're doing, you can cause total hormonal chaos here and make your symptoms worse. I've seen this time and time again. You're wasting your money. You could be wasting your time. I really recommend getting back to the basics here. So I'm going to go through some of these things. I will give you some basic level supplement recommendations that I think everyone can benefit from without needing to test. Number one, lower the stress in order to keep those progesterone levels in check, which helps balance estrogen. We want to avoid things that spike your cortisol, right? Um, Eating is anti-stress, not skipping meals, anti-stress, okay? Maybe you need to cut back on your caffeine. Maybe you need to evaluate your daily work schedule, your commute, your self-care, all those different things. I know that this is easier said than done, but maybe you really actually need to schedule in the time for the meditation or the journaling or going for a walk on your lunch break versus eating at your desk. Put your freaking phone away. I'm preaching this to myself, guys, too. (laughs) Totally preaching this to myself. Next, support the liver, which I just went through a bunch of different things, but some herbs you could consider like milk thistle, dandelion root, really good for um, supporting your liver, raw carrot salad, castor oil packs, all that. Work on your gut health. Some easy things you can do, which actually this might be easier said than done, but from a diet standpoint, reduce the sugar intake, especially the refined sugars, the processed foods, the refined grains, cut back on the alcohol or eliminate it completely. Alcohol is not your friend for your hormones, especially as a woman, your ultra processed foods. So any foods where you are eating the skin, I'm talking specifically about produce and vegetables, um, go to ewg.org and look up the dirty dozen list, like your berries, your apples, your pears, things like that. You want those foods to be organic. Environmental pollutants like pesticides and herbicides are not good for your gut health and for, for your hormones. You want to feed your gut. So eat a wide variety of plant foods. I'm preaching this to myself too. We're about to move in two weeks. So I'm in the process of like getting rid of everything from our fridge and our freezer and our pantry because we're not bringing our fridge and pantry, our freezer food with us. So I feel like my diet has been very basic lately and I have not been eating a wide variety of plant foods. I'm not eating enough fiber right now and I can feel it. Um, So I'm preaching this to myself, but eat different types of foods. Don't just eat the same thing every single day. I know it's hard when when life is busy, we kind of get in this habit or routine and rotate through the same things, but maybe try to get out of your little rut. And uh, one of the things I've been doing is physically going to the grocery store versus doing Instacart or grocery delivery. I find that when I'm physically in there and I'm not rushed and I can kind of like take my time, I'll get inspired and get ideas and throw some things in the cart that maybe I haven't ordered in a while. Versus when I do grocery delivery, it's easy to just like look through your list of what your past cart was and just refill your cart with the same crap every single week. Up your fiber. So leeks, onions, berries, legumes, asparagus, garlic, bananas, pears, avocados, lentils, cruciferous vegetables, really great sources of fiber. I will say some of us, if we have poor gut health, might struggle with digesting some of these foods. Preparation is key. Um, Personally, like I find 
If I do canned legumes, I'm going to have digestive issues after that. So if we do legumes, which we do legumes, I try to soak them overnight. Sprouted beans are much easier for digestion. I will link a little blog post at the bottom of the show notes on sprouted legumes or soaking your legumes. Um, And same thing with cruciferous vegetables. I find that if they are steamed or roasted or sauteed, I digest those way better than if I were to do like a shaved raw Brussels sprout salad. Talking about probiotics and prebiotics for your gut. I don't think every person needs a probiotic, especially if you're already eating many probiotic rich foods. Some people are really dialed in on their fermented foods like yogurt, kefir, sauerkraut, kimchi. If you've been on antibiotics recently, you'd probably benefit from a probiotic. You can check out the link to my full script account in the show notes, which I have linked some of my favorite supplements, including a spore-based probiotic. It's called Megaspore Biotic. You can grab from my full script dispensary those supplements at a discount. There is an aspect of trial and error when it comes to probiotics. So without testing, I really can't say whether or not you need one. You might need to experiment and see how your body does with it. Some prebiotic-rich foods to include artichokes, garlic, leeks, onions, asparagus, beets, green peas, grapefruit, legumes. You also could incorporate like a prebiotic powder or an actual supplement. I'll link that in the full script account as well. Supporting methylation is key. So methylation is this chemical process that actually happens more than 1 billion times a second in your body. And this helps keep your body alive and healthy. It works alongside your liver as one of its primary purposes of detoxification. Many people with immune system problems have genetic methylation impairments, commonly known as MTHFR. It's a genetic mutation, which it can make your body difficult to detoxify on your own. B vitamins act as a really important fuel for methylation, and they help boost your body's ability to detoxify and break down estrogen. So making sure you're getting in enough foods that are are rich in B vitamins, beef liver, red meat, bee pollen, nutritional yeast, dandelion tea, dark leafy greens, broccoli, Brussels sprouts, cauliflower are all packed with B vitamins. And I kind of went through that order by the ones that are highest in B vitamins first. That's why we all do beef liver over here. Magnesium, very involved in methylation. Many, many people are deficient in magnesium. We're not getting enough in our diet. This is a really essential mineral, not only for methylation, but also for energy production. And so if you're low in magnesium, you're going to be more, you're going to experience more fatigue. Some people notice loss of appetite, nausea, headaches, um, increase in PMS symptoms, anxiety, muscle cramps. Magnesium is involved in thousands of enzyme functions. So I would definitely recommend if you're not doing any sort of way of magnesium for your body, start out with like a lotion, topicals, great. Uh, Take a bath a couple nights a week with magnesium flakes. And at the very least, consider a supplement. I really like magnesium glycinate. Go non-toxic, which I've already touched on a little bit earlier, but lowering your sources of xenoestrogens, ditch the candles, perfumes, car air fresheners, plug-ins, the conventional cleaners, the junky beauty products, 
swap them out for essential oil-based, plant-based, non-toxic. EWG.org has a great list of non-toxic household products and personal care items. If you aren't familiar, I will link that below as well. Eating more healthy fats. So fats are the building blocks of your hormones. Your body needs healthy fats for hormone production. However, many of us have been conditioned to fear fat, especially animal fat. And this could not be further from the truth. I'm not saying that you need to eat a high fat diet and go full-blown keto and go crazy with the fats because you will notice that if you up fats, fats are very nutrient dense. They have the highest amount of calories per gram. You will gain weight if you have not been eating enough fats and all of a sudden you start upping the fats, you will notice that your body may gain some weight. So just be aware of that. Some of us need to go through that process to work on our hormones. I'm not talking about gaining 15, 20 pounds here. I'm talking about you might gain a few pounds if you're previously not eating a lot of fat and now that you are. And and this is something I went through myself. So at the peak of my hormonal symptoms, I had cystic acne, a really symptomatic luteal phase, which is the days leading up to your period. I had mood swings. I'd spend a day in bed, severe cramps, really heavy period, lots of bloating, constipation, depressed, crying, irritable, just hot mess. And it was, it was terrible. And I had tried going vegan. I found YouTube videos. This is before I even went back to school for nutrition. This is around the time when like veganism and plant-based was really starting to gain traction again, or just gain traction in general. There were um, a lot of documentaries coming out on Netflix. I had bought the book, um, How to Not Die by Dr. Michael Greger. I think that's how you say his last name, which, oh my gosh, I'm like, I can't believe I read that. (laughs) Oh, I was so misinformed, misled and misfed. And I thought that going plant-based would fix my skin and give me like a cleanse. And I was like, the only fats I was eating was coming from like nuts and peanut butter and maybe coconut, a lot of PUFAs, polyunsaturated fats, which are very oxidative and inflammatory. Um, A lot of seed oils. I was eating a lot of seed oils like sunflower, canola, vegetable oil. If you're eating plant-based and you're doing some processed foods, which most people that are doing a plant-based diet or vegan do eat the plant-based processed, like the dairy-free cheeses and dairy-free yogurt and dairy-free milk and plant-based meats. I was doing a lot of dairy-free plant-based and gluten-free, I think at the time. It was crazy. So I was doing a lot of seed oils as well. And I quickly realized that it was not going to heal my skin I did get very lean. If I look back on pictures from that year, I was at my leanest. I was probably 15 pounds less than what I weigh now, but my hormones were a complete hot mess. I had no energy, headaches. I felt like I was constantly hungry. No matter how much I ate, I felt like I was constantly eating. And so when I started to reintroduce animal protein again and dairy and fats, I gained weight in the process, which was a very necessary part of my hormone journey. It is humbling to start to gain weight and have to increase your size of clothing. I think I went up two sizes during this whole process. Again, did not like that at all. But 
at 15 pounds heavier and two sizes heavier than I was four years ago, my health is tremendously better. I don't even know when my period's coming. I get no PMS. I have stable energy. I don't have anxiety anymore. Every single symptom I had, my skin's clear. Uh, My hormones are not perfect. I'm 36, almost 37 years old. We also have had, I've had a lot of stress in my life the last few years as a business owner and a mother. You know, I still have stress that is going to dysregulate my hormones, but even just changing my diet changed many of my symptoms. So you also could try some adaptogens. I will link some in the full script link, but adaptogens are a broad family of herbs and plant medicines. This might help with your stress response with supporting that brain and hormone system, including the HPA access, which is that hypothalamus pituitary adrenal access. And there are a lot of herbs and plant medicines that are known to support the HPA access, which will then have downstream effects on your hormones. Some of my favorite adaptogens for those with estrogen dominance include ashwagandha. I also really like shilajit, which is a mineral, holy basil. Again, I will link some different options in the full script and in the show notes. Next, I would say, and this is the final tip, make sure you are getting enough sleep. So your body uses this time of sleep to regulate your cortisol and your other hormones. There's a lot that shows that people that do not get enough sleep have chronically elevated cortisol. It also really dysregulates your hormones that are involved in hunger. So making sure that you're getting seven to eight hours of sleep a night. I know that this is easier said than done, but sometimes it just goes back to our routine, getting into that wind down state, preparing your body for sleep, switching off electronics, mindfulness, sleeping with a weighted blanket, white noise, lowering the temperature. There's a lot of things that you can do to kind of create a better, healthier sleep routine and sleep hygiene. I think that about covers everything I wanted to talk about. I always find that when I get to the end of these episodes where I'm like doing such a deep dive on a topic, I'm like, okay, how do I end this? What do I say to like wrap it up in a shiny bow? Because I just said a lot of stuff, but Thank you for listening. And again, reference the show notes. There's going to be a lot of helpful links there. If you are like, I need help. I want testing. I want a specific protocol and a plan and accountability and a person to come alongside me. We are enrolling our for our final intake of 2023, which is crazy. What a year. We are taking on one-on-one clients until mid mid-November. So November 15th right now, 2023 is when our last intake of the year ends. And then after that, we will be enrolling for a January intake, which is just crazy that we're at the end of the year. Stay tuned. We also do have a special coming for Black Friday. I will be announcing that soon. Um, That is going to be a fun little first time we've ever done something like this for our listeners and our Instagram followers and our clients. If you have any questions, you can email fueledandfreepodcast at gmail.com or come visit us on Instagram. My personal Instagram is at Margaret Ann Powell. And we now have a podcast slash business Instagram, and that is at fueledandfreenutrition, working on getting that all going and set up. So appreciate your patience. Come say hi, come give us a follow and have a great day.
Thank you for listening to the Fueled and Free podcast. Please subscribe to the show on Apple Podcasts, Spotify, or wherever you listen to your podcasts. Learn more at margaretannpowell.com and follow me on Instagram at margaretannpowell.com.